we're starting a new sermon series this week. Um, kind of this is the precursor to that sermon series, and we'll have all the media out if you receive the emailer. It has our kind of a new graphic for it, but um, we're going to be speaking over the next couple of weeks about uh, you know a, a message from our Savior and talking about how Jesus Christ has given this authority, and as he came to earth, how he took the first couple of months and times of his ministry to actually go through um, and teach to us how do we live out this Christian life? How do we live out in a world that may not like you? How do you live in a world where there may be pervasive poverty? How do you live out this Christian walk in a world where there's abundant wealth, but you still see sorrows? You still see struggles? How do we live out this life as a Christian with temptations that come in our lives every single day? And over the next couple of um, months, We'll be going through the book of Matthew from uh, chapter 5 all the way through uh, chapter 7. Um, I believe this is going to be a good time for some foundational teaching as we're coming out of the book of Ephesians and talking about how do we live out our Christian life. Um, this is going to be some great foundational teaching and looking at how do we apply um, all the teachings of Christ to our lives at an individual kind of place there. Um, we wanted, I wanted to speak today. This has actually been something that um, we've been wanting to preach on or I've been having to preach on over the last couple of weeks as a precursor to our message here. Today's sermon text is, um, the Savior knows our sorrows and the Savior knows our struggles. I don't think it's coincidental as we are in a place right now where we are seeing our nation to in a place where it is sorrowful what has been going on with the deaths of those in our nations of unarmed African-American men and women over the last couple of weeks. We've seen it live on TV and the media, and we see and we feel the sorrowfulness and this remorsefulness in our hearts of the pervasive sin that is happening in our cities and the world around us. I don't think it's just for this moment that we say that there is this excess of hatred towards one people group, but we've seen in society and we've seen in history that it has happened over and over and over again. And we're seeing a just a buck and a rebuttal back from America that this is unacceptable in the way that they are treating other people. We're also seeing the struggles that many have faced in their lives over and over again. And it can feel as though that God is so far away from us when we have these sorrows and we have these struggles and we feel as though that the world around us is chaotic and it is crumbling around and we don't know what to do. So when we think about this, we have to remember what the word of God says and remembering to keep our foundation on who Jesus Christ is and God's character. Many a times we can look at these situations and we can look at how people want us to react, but how do we look at the life of Jesus Christ? How did he handle the sorrows that he had on a day-to-day basis? How did he handle the struggles that he had to live with as a man and fully God in life? It feels like it's like impossible or couldn't be possible to understand, for Jesus Christ to understand what we're going through right now and how the pain and the sorrow feels in our lives. After all, it's one of those things that we think that he never had to experience dealing with. But when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we often kind of bypass the parts from his birth. We look at the part where he was born, and we look at him taking the cross. We don't actually look at the actions and things that happened in between his life and say, how did he have to deal with the physical sufferings, the feelings, the emotions, the temptations, the loneliness, the homelessness? All of these things are the same kind of life that we are living in that Jesus Christ also had to live in in his 33 years. It's the thought that as a, as a teenager, he had to live as a teenager in authority to his mother and father. 
And then he walked with all of this wisdom. He had the same kind of angst that any kind of moody teenager may have had. And then as an adult, he had the same kind of things that he had to worry about in life. He had the same struggles. He had to worry about where he was going to get from A to B and such. And he was tired no different than any of us are. Well, as we open up the scripture today, I pray that we remember that his foundation was on God's word. And that his character was founded in knowing who God was. And he was able to overcome the sufferings and the struggles that we face on a day-to-day basis. And that Jesus Christ lived in the same sufferings and struggles. And he overcame them. And we now can also do the same thing through his blood. I'm going to give us seven real-life struggles that Jesus Christ um, identified with. And that we can identify with with Jesus Christ in his life. I'm going to tell you guys what they are. And I'm going to kind of talk through them and read through them real quick. So the seven real-life struggles that Jesus Christ can identify with is that, number one, Jesus knew what it was like to experience exhaustion. Jesus Christ knew what it was what it was like to experience being exhausted, having exhaustion. Number two was Jesus knew what it was like to experience the reality of poverty in life. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to experience poverty in life. Number three was Jesus Christ knew what it was like to be betrayed. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to be betrayed by those around him who we most love. Jesus Number four, Jesus knew what it was like to suffer from grief. The fourth was Jesus Christ knows what it was like to suffer from grief. And five was Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. And we'll take a little bit more time on this from our sermon text. Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. Six is that Jesus knew what it was like to experience suffering in his life. Jesus knew what it was like to experience suffering. And the last one, seventh, is Jesus knew what it was like to feel forsaken by God. Jesus knew what it was like to be forsaken by God. Let's take a minute and we'll pray. We'll hop into the scripture and the sermon reading for today. God, we thank you and we love you for your sovereignness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you don't fail or abandon us, God. God, we know that we have a lot of pain and suffering happening in our country as it's happened historically over and over and over again, Lord. God, I pray that you are our comfort in this moment in time and that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the hatred, in the midst of the pervasive sin that is in the heart of man, I pray that you are the light that guides us in this moment in time to be able to show people how to live a life that glorifies you, Lord. God, I pray in the midst of the anger that our nation and our country may be feeling right now that we've cast our eyes to you and you are alone, God. We remember that you have given us an answer and a solution to all of the problems that we face in our community, but it's going to take all of us who believe and live under your name, every race, creed, color, and culture to step up and say, I choose to stand for those who are facing injustice, but also choose to get out of my comfort I choose to hear the the thoughts and the the conviction in my life and not allow it to just sit there and me to be complacent, but to actually move forward in action as Jesus Christ did when he saw the sufferings of those around him. God, I pray today that you guide our hearts. God, I pray today that we know that you are with us. Amen. Amen. So as we mentioned, the sermon tag for this is that the Savior knows our sorrows and the Savior knows our our struggles. As I've, I've talked to a lot of people this last week or two, or even over the past couple of weeks, just with 
national issues that we're seeing in our news and got to get into a place of an understanding on how do we overcome some of these issues? How do we overcome the issues that we see in, in racism and pervasive poverty and, and drug abuse? And, and this, these things may seem overwhelming. And as Jesus Christ, as he was going forward and he's working in his community and he's giving out and reaching and he's preaching the word of God, we all know that it can be tiring. God, I know I, it's tiring just to get on Facebook sometimes and to just read through comments and to read through sections. That's tiring right there. But much less to be able to say that you are physically laboring in your community. Every one of us can know what it feels like to just be tired, feel overwhelmed by the pressing situations feeling physically overwhelmed by the work of a nine-to-five job and coming home to support your kids and being out with them and being able to make sure that you're supporting your family, it's a struggle sometimes. It's a struggle some days. And Jesus Christ knew all too well what it meant to experience weariness in these moments and times. Jesus, he walked everywhere he went. Jesus didn't have Ubers to get from one city to town or anybody else. I think sometimes we forget about the actual physical laboring that Jesus Christ had to do. He physically had to move from town to town, walking miles a day, dealing with the fact that his religious folk were trying to kill him and murder him also. The Pharisees and Sadducees who dealt with him were trying to come against him. Dealing out, having to understand that he had disciples, thousands of them who were following after him also. And in his leadership role, he was bringing correction and love and grace and tenderness to them. God knows some of y'all got like three or four kids and y'all want to be like, I'm going to put both of y'all in the chokehold if y'all don't calm down. As a father, I don't experience this knowing this. Having an 11-year-old and a newborn, you're tired, you're weary, you're exhausted. It feels as though like there's no respite or relief sometimes. Jesus was out healing people. He's meeting their physical needs. He's raising folks from the dead. And as he's doing this, he had the same physical body that we all have. The same physical body that hungers, it thirsts, it, it yearns for rest. And Jesus had to live in the same conditions that we were living in. I spoke last week about how I believe that Jesus Christ was able to be able to do the ministry and to be able to receive respite and rest in between the times that he was doing missionary work. He had to take the time to get away in the lonely place with God to rejuvenate himself. I believe physically and spiritually. Believing and knowing that when he, he speaks about how he feeds the 5,000 and then he gets away early in the morning, far away with his father, he experiences the rejuvenation of the Holy Spirit to his body, physically and also spiritually in life. We are going to struggle laboring in our communities. We are going to struggle laboring in our spiritual life. But it's believing and understanding and knowing that Jesus Christ also walked with these same struggles in life, that we can overcome this. I believe when we start to get into the, the uh, crux of a, our, our sermon series, talking about the, the message from the Messiah, it's the understanding that he has the authority to speak this because he is the Son of God, but he also walked in the same conditions that we walk, and he experienced it so we can trust his witness to our lives as he guides us. As we are living out this life, we are going to experience exhaustion. We are going to experience times in which we are just overwhelmed physically. Sickness may enter into our body, and we know all too well how that can paralyze us. But I believe that God wants us to be in a place of restfulness, spiritually and physically. 
There's no shame in saying, I'm tired. I feel traumatized. I feel as though I can't overcome this situation. But that's when you lean upon the rock and your salvation and your Savior and your own understanding and who Jesus Christ is. And that is the strength that continues to give us the willpower to move forward because it's the Holy Spirit living inside of us, empowering us to do what we know sometimes may feel impossible. I pray this week a lot for the ministers and pastors and families and friends I've seen who just feel physically weary. I pray for the renewing of their strength. I felt the same also. And I pray that we continue to keep our firm foundation on God so he can give us the rest that we need. Jesus, in the midst of all this, as many of us may face, is in our physical exhaustion and in our physical just tiredness. The second part is, is that we know that Jesus knew what it was like to experience poverty in life. Poverty, pervasive poverty, not just, oh, I don't have this for a moment, but what does it actually mean to live in a place of poverty? When we talk about the struggles that we see in America right now, a lot of it is deep-rooted in the fact that there are pockets of poverty in our rural and our urban areas. And looking at the history as to why and how these people are living in poverty, it opens up a bigger question. It opens up a deeper place and a deeper scars in life to give us more understanding as to why people react the way that they do now when you have had systematic poverty and systematic issues that have gone against you your whole life. When you've had to live paycheck to paycheck, the struggle can be real. When you feel as though you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, Surely we, we say that God can understand what it's like to be sleepy and hungry and cold, not to have a place to lay your head, not to know if you're going to be able to pay the bills, not to know if your lights are going to be on when you come home. But when we realize the reality that Jesus Christ was homeless, he didn't have the luxuries that we had. When you look at the fact that they were traveling from town to town and they were really living in a place where they were saying, hey, we want to be able to receive the love of those who receive us. But it's also the understanding in Luke chapter 9, it tells us this. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his own head. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his own head. I said this um. We were, I think two weeks ago, we went down to my mom's house in uh, North Carolina. And, you know, she's got this air mattress that looks like a queen-size mattress, but it's not the air mattress. And some of us, we can all say this. We all go, we all travel somewhere, and we come home, and what's the first thing you say? I want to sleep in my own bed. Like, you just want to cuddle up with that pillow. You got that one good pillow. I got those firm, like, like the, the memory foam ones. I just sit in my bed, and I'm just like, I just want to sit here. And then, like, even during COVID, I've had the luxury of just sitting in my bed and working on my laptop all day long with baby Naomi. That is such a comforting place. And many of us, we complain about what we don't have in the moments when we have an abundance. I don't think we believe how blessed we are, know how blessed we are in the midst of our lives to be able to live out our lives and not have to worry about ministering in pervasive poverty. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to, to work and to labor and to move and to have to live in this place where he was not only ministering to those who were in poverty, but he lived in poverty. He lived in this place where it just continually was over and over again, understanding that he was homeless and not knowing where he was going to have to go. And his um, discipling, as he continued in Luke 10, he talked about how he sent the disciples out. And he told them, he said, hey, listen, is that they receive you with God, with graciousness, you go to those people. You go. You go and you take what they have and you receive what they have. 
because I believe that he was saying that I don't want you to focus on just the material side of what it looks like for ministry, but understanding that for the sake of the gospel that you will have to forsake certain luxuries of your life. And Jesus showed us how to live out this lifestyle. He didn't just say it, but he lived it in the understanding of what it means to be with those who are suffering and afflicted with the most. The third part was this, is that Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. I think this is an easy one for us to kind of read through and to see through, but we all have felt betrayed in our life around us. We've all felt betrayed when you feel as though that they're suffering with you internally and those around you aren't giving the support that is needed. When you talk about Jesus, he was well acquainted with the pain of betrayal. Not only was he betrayed by, a jealous, by jealous religious leaders who were around him, he was also betrayed by those who were close to him. It was even his own family and friends as he was ministering that literally told him that he was lost his mind. We don't know who this Jesus guy is. It tells us that in Mark 3, it says that the response from his brothers and his family was that when his family heard that he, when he was ministering, they had, that, that, I'm sorry, they went out and they seized him and they were saying to him that he's out of his mind when he's preaching and teaching and ministering. They're saying, I grew up with Jesus, but I don't know this man right now. Could you imagine if your brother or your sister as you're going out and ministering and teaching and you're going out in your neighborhoods? We all have felt this before, the betrayal of family members and friends. It hurts. The betrayal of those who are around us and closest to you. The betrayal of the knowledge that Peter betrayed Jesus Christ by denying him three times. And he knew that Jesus, he knew that Paul, Peter was going to do this. The betrayal of his life by Judas for 30 pieces of silver as he was sold out to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knew the betrayal that he was going to face in life. And he walked through still on the mission of God through that all. The fourth is this. I think a lot of us can understand this. Is a lot of us know what it means to have suffering from grief in your life. I think a lot of us, we believe that Jesus Christ was this like robotic Kawhi Leonard kind of guy who just goes out there and was just like healing, oh, you need to do this. I feel as though we kind of think he just went through these motions of I'm going to heal this person, I'm going to go forth and I'm going to like bring this paralyzed person back to life and he did not have emotions that went along with it. I could one day just imagine what the joy could look like from watching through the eyes of Jesus Christ as he's healing those who are afflicted with so much sickness, as he's healing the lepers, he could see the joy of the lepers being healed in that moment in time and the joy to see and know that his people were being brought back into physical redemption but also spiritual redemption as he's speaking and teaching about the word of God we don't think about the joy that Jesus Christ experienced in that moment but also the grief that he sees from suffering the grief that he sees when he saw Jerusalem God's holy city and God's holy people rejecting God his father and rejecting him for who he is the betrayal that he felt as many of his disciples also left but I also was met with grief in that moment in time I believe we all know from the cross he says father forgive them because they know not what they do even in the midst of his deepest suffering he has grief for those around him who are betraying him He's seeing and saying in this moment, his heart is aching and is really sorrowful. It's not just a Twitter post. It's not just a Facebook post. It's not just an Instagram photo, but he's really physically suffering and having grief for his nation and the people that are around him. We see couples of instances where Jesus is weeping 
over the condition of Jerusalem, as we should weep for the condition of our nation right now. When we see the depravity, when we see the injustices, when we see that the poverty is overwhelming, do we stop in the moment and actually grieve for those who are suffering? Do we allow empathy in our moments in our lives to be able to work, to be able to, to be as the psalmist, as, as, uh, as David would say, to talk about the suffering that he is seeing and the affliction in his heart over what's happening? Do we allow in these moments and times for the suffering that we see from our community to become a conviction in our hearts to enact us into action? Do we allow that to happen? Jesus, as he walked towards the city of Jerusalem in Luke 19, he says, as he drawed near to the city, he wept for the condition and the place that he saw his city in because he knew how and where and what God wanted his city and his people to be. There's got to be times when we stop and we weep and we mourn for our cities because this isn't what God has called for our cities to be and how it is meant to be ran. God has called us to do more in our cities, and God wants us to be a people who also see the grief and the suffering and are called to action from it. The second time we've seen this is we all know the shortest Bible verse in the Bible from John eleven thirty five. 35. It says, Jesus wept. He wept because when he saw Mary and Martha's pain and the understanding that they were sorrowful because Lazarus has died in that moment, he saw what we saw. We see physical death in and around us, and we see the mourning of the people around us. Are we moved to actually have grief ourselves? Are we moved in those moments and times to understand the affliction of those who are around us? Jesus Christ knew that affliction in his heart. He knew the suffering of his people. He knew what they were going through. And he knew that God was the answer. The fifth part was this, is that Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. This, this, is, this is a hard thing for a lot of people to have the real reality of. I think you, you can accept that Jesus had grief. You can accept that Jesus Christ was exhausted. You can accept that when he was walking forth in life, he, he had issues that a lot of us can face in life. But he also faced the same temptation that you and I face every single day. The temptations that come, that when it comes to fighting temptations, Jesus surely didn't know how to relate to that. But the writer of Hebrews, he reminds us that nothing could be farther from the truth when he tells us this. In verses um, chapter 2 and 18, it says here that although Jesus never committed sin, he was still tempted. Therefore, because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help us in our temptation. And he himself knew the temptation that came along in our lives every single day, but he did not enact upon those temptations. And because he knew the temptations, he knew the sufferings, he knew the struggling, he knows our sorrowful hearts, he knows the issues that we face, he knows our wandering eyes, he knows the things that in our hearts when we want to have power and pride and authority, he knows what it feels like to have power and authority and still be tempted and to walk along with God's path in life. In these moments, we think that the temptations that Jesus Christ faced maybe were menial or minimal, but they were a greater temptation than we could ever imagine in our lives. We just came out of this series. We talked about the spiritual warfare and what 
we face every single day of our lives. I've said this before. It's not in the moments where we're going to see the devil and Satan come to us physically in our moments and times that we should ever worry about. It's in the moments and times in the quiet places where the temptation in the back of our mind is so great. But Jesus Christ in this moment had face-to-face temptation from the devil, physically coming to him. In the book of Matthew, it talks about how in chapter 4, Jesus was led into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. I want to pause here for a moment. I'm going to go back to what we know about Lucifer. Lucifer is going to come as the horny-eyed the horny-eyed, Lord, the horny-eared kind of guy with the pitchfork. He's going to come into what is most appealing to you, a beautiful depiction of what we believe he should look, what we, what we believe what, our, what we want in life. It's going to be a depiction of what we believe can tempt us to be pulled away from God and his character. So when the enemy came here, it's not this, like I said, like this red, Satanistic, evil-looking. He's coming in his form of beautifulness and tempting God, Jesus in these moments in time. It says here that he tempted Jesus Christ in chapter 4 of the book of Mark, of the book of Matthew in verse 3. He says, And the tempter came and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, I command you to take these stones and to make them into loaves of bread. Then he answered them. Jesus answered, he said to them, That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I believe this is one of the biggest issues that we face and we see here in America in our Christian lives is that we have authority that has been given unto us by God. We have power. We have places of position. We, we know this. I know this as myself as a pastor and as somebody who lives in the community as a leader. There is a place of power and authority that we have been given by God to make our cities and areas better than what they should be. But in this moment, we see how it could be turned and reversed. We see in this moment that Satan tries to turn and reverse Jesus Christ's authority to use his power for his own gain and for his own path. And in this moment, he tempted Jesus Christ to enact independently of God's power and authority for his own personal gain. The issues that we see here in America that are reflected in in situations that we see now in our nation is that there is a abuse of the power and the authority that God has given us. That we have deviated from what God has wanted us to do in our lives for our own personal gain. This is why we can see things like officers who are in a place where they are to withhold up the law and give us justice and help us in injustices and many of them are doing this and I commend those but when you start to have personal sin that affects the life of a believer or a person do you then see that perversion of that person to use the power and the authority that they have been granted against those who they were called to protect and serve you see this perversion happen in life and it results in the perversion, the perversion of God's gifts and that many will start to lose their humanity And many start to lose their conviction in life. In these moments when we are tempted, the moments when we know that we have power and authority, do we stand upon God's word 
and understanding that we are to use everything that has come from our word and the words of God from God's mouth. We must live off of these the same way that we physically live off of bread and the things that sustain us. Jesus Christ is saying in this moment that my life isn't just sustained off of the physical food that I eat and I receive for nourishment, but my, sus my sustenance has got to come from my spiritual relationship with God. Because if not, we all know this, the temptation will overwhelm us and we will then take what God has given to us and then we will pervert it. I believe in James, it talks about it, it says everything good comes from the Father above, the God of the life. And it tells us that what we have received upon this earth is meant to be used for his goodness. But when we allow temptation to come in, we see the perversion. We see this in our world around us right now. The root issue is sin in our world. The root issue isn't the fact that it's just poverty, or it's that just that there's poor people, that there's just racism, or that there's just sexism. It's the thought and the understanding that these oppressive natures are rooted in sin. It is rooted in the person who wants to glorify themselves as opposed to glorifying God. But we have a solution as God's people to shine this light upon all those who we come across. And we can show his goodness and his glory and his grace if we continue to follow upon God's teaching. Second temptation that we see here is that after he is tempted in this moment in time to take the rocks and to make him in bread, we see here that Satan then says again to him, he says to him, hey, he takes him up to a high place in the high pinnacle of the temple. And he says to him, if you are the son of God, challenging his sonship and his daughtership, challenging who we are and the character who we are in God's light. He's saying to him, if, if you are the son of God, pretty much saying if God loves you, you should jump off of here because he'll save you in this moment in time. He says here, jump off of this. And what you'll see here, as it is written in the word of God, misusing the scripture, he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off, and it will be written, as it is written, that he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands, and they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus replies back in this moment, knowing his true character and what the word of God says for his life. He says to him, Jesus said to him, again, as it is written, you should not put God our Lord to the test. Satan tempted to take God's word out of context and also in this moment to try to coerce God into saving him if he would have jumped off of this. Again, the devil looked and he saw what he could try to tempt Jesus with in this moment in time, trying to tempt him to misuse the word of God for his own personal gain in this moment in time. Satan wanted to try to mislead Jesus Christ and coerce him. We're not to try to test or to tempt God in these moments and times. He knows that we're going to go through pain and suffering. And he wanted to try in this moment in time to be able to flex his power and authority that he has as the son of God to be able to show this authority. But it wasn't in God's time. I remember in the book of John, when we were going through this, it talks about how Jesus and his disciples were going into a town for a festival. And his disciples were saying to Jesus Christ, come on, let's go right now. Let's show your power and your authority. Let's go and you can go and heal these people in these moments and times. And it was the reality in that moment that it wasn't just Satan, but it was the people around him trying to get him to use his power and to coerce him into using it in ways that God didn't want him to do. And Jesus in that moment was tempted to do so. When I read that, I was like, man, this is such a crazy 
kind of dynamic, and we see that we, we hear that Jesus was tempted by his disciples in that moment in time, ultimately by the spirit of Satan to go forth and to use his power and his authority to go and heal. It could have been seen as being a good thing, but it wasn't in God's time. It wasn't in God's moment that he was supposed to go forth and to do so. And he said he was tempted and he stayed behind in that moment. And he let the disciples go forth into town, into the festival. And he followed up later on after he had overcome that temptation also. The coercing of those around you to use your power and authority also. And to put God to the test in these moments is a real threat. Lastly, we see here, it says again in verse 8, it says, The devil took him onto a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Satan said to him, be gone, Satan, with some attitude now. He's probably mad and upset with him. Like, you're going to tempt me to, to worship you when I know my authority and I know my sonship as the son of God. He said in these moments, as many of us should, when we're tempted to worship Satan, to gain something worldly, he said to him, be gone, Satan. Be gone, as it is written, you shall worship the Lord our God, and him only shall you serve. The temptation to give up your sonship and your daughtership and your identity with God for the worship of the world is one of the biggest temptations you will face in your life. The understanding that we have been given a great authority and love right now by God. We understand if we live in this fellowship with God that we only need to be affirmed by what he says for us. But the real temptation in our life is that Satan is going to attack you in these moments in time for you to have worldly authority by giving up your sonship. Jesus Christ says many a times in the word, and we see this, it says, what is it worth that you lose your soul and you gain the world? You gain the world and what people may believe and say about you and the attributes that you may gain from physically giving, being given stuff in life. But you give up your spiritual life. The authority that we've seen from many is celebrity in this world who would rather have the appraise of those around them rather than be affirmed by what the Word of God says, who they are. Many of us in our lives, we know this temptation. We look for the affirmation of man and for those who are around us more so than we look for God. It's a real temptation. I've said this before that I, I, I know what I deal with in life. I know that I struggle sometimes with pride. And I understand that it's being able to manage and saying that I know, God, that you have placed me into a place of power and authority to be able to do your works in this community. But it's also knowing that Jesus Christ, as we've seen when he faces the temptation, that he has to pull himself out and back from these moments to have fellowship with God so he can overcome the temptations in his life because if not the pride of who we believe we are will overcome our lives i believe it's the humble nature that we are able to co-labor and serve jesus christ which keeps us on the right path it's the humble nature of jesus christ as he was living out through these temptations as we deal with these temptations which keep kept him on the right path as we will do so the last two experiences that we we see here that Jesus Christ has related to us and how we can relate to him is that number six is that Jesus knew what it was like to experience suffering. Jesus knew what it was like to experience suffering in life. I'm not talking about the the little middle, middle school. My boyfriend broke up with me and I don't know what to do. What Drizzy Drake says, we, we know these sufferings 
But real life suffering in life, feeling as though we don't have anybody around us. When we search for the meaning in our suffering, we don't know why we're suffering sometimes. It can be hard to find on this side of eternity because we cannot know all the purposes of our sovereign God. But we have a savior who knew exactly what it was like to suffer. He confided in his emotional pain to his disciples when he was saying this in Matthew 26 and 38 by saying, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death as he knows that he is going to take the cross. And he obviously endured the physical pain and his extreme gruesome death on the cross for the sake of the gospel. It is the understanding that Jesus knew for the sake of the gospel that he was going to have to be put to death. And he endured a pain that none of us could ever imagine for our sake and for your sake, for us to be able to receive eternal salvation. We're not always going to know what our suffering is going to bring forth in life. We're not always going to know that. It's hard to be able to tell someone when they're suffering to keep the faith and to keep praying. But, but I do believe that the same way as Jesus Christ had to endure through suffering, that there is a positive at the end of this life, that there is going to be people that can be, bring to, be brought to Christ through our suffering. If we can continue to be a good witness to the sovereignty and to the love and the authority that God is in our lives. We're going to suffer for a moment. It's momentary afflictions. As it says, that there's crying in the night and there's weeping at the night when we have to deal with the sufferings of our sin. But it says there's weeping in the night, but in the morning there's joy that will come ultimately when we get to live our lives with Jesus Christ eternally. Even on this earth, we can have joy after our sufferings. We continue to walk with God. My joy in this life isn't based on my extra, isn't based off of my external things that I have, but it's based off of my spiritual understanding of where my soul is sitting in the receiving of salvation. The last one here is that Jesus knew what it was like to feel forsaken by God. We can feel forsaken by God in many places and times in our lives. When you're going through the temptation, when you're going through burning, when you're going through suffering, when you're going through sickness, when you're going through being betrayed, you feel as though God is not with you. We all have felt that in our lives, in our moments and times. But it's even when we feel as though God has forsaken us, Jesus can identify with this. And it's the understanding that God the Father had to turn his face on his son while he became sin on the cross in our place. We saw here in Matthew 27, it says here that, my, that Jesus replies, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he's on the cross? However, we need to remember that although it was a reality for Jesus at that time and at that moment, being forsaken by God is not only a feeling for his children, but it was also something that Jesus Christ had to endure. And the truth is that he has told us in Hebrews 13 and 5, he says, he has told us, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. In the moment when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he felt forsaken. He felt as though God wasn't with him because of the sin that he was taking on in that moment in time, because he had to endure the cross for all of us to have salvation. When we feel as though we are forsaken by God in our lives, it's remembering that Jesus Christ was able to take the cross in that moment that he was forsaken. And we now have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. 
God does not abandon us. We are not orphaned. We are not by ourselves. When we feel as though the world and everybody around us has forsaken us, God is still with us in these moments. It's the understanding that just plain and simply we know that Jesus Christ knows what it's like to live as a human. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. He slept. He learned in ways how to live out this life. He grew. He loved. He was glad. He was angry. He was sad. He was troubled at times. He prayed. He exercised his faith. He read the scriptures. He hurt when he saw another person's illness and suffering and pain. He cried when he saw death and decay. As an old hymn may say, what a friend we have in Jesus, because Jesus knows our own and our very weaknesses that we have on a day-to-day basis. What a massive comfort it is to know that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we as individuals and we collectively as a church body, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet he did not sin. As he tells us in Hebrews 4 and 5, our high priest who is representing us before God, when he took the cross for us, and when we sin and we make mistakes, he's not only just sitting here in this moment and being like, I I can't believe that he sinned, that they made this mistake. These are my people. Why, Why can't they just live this life out? He's saying, listen, I understand the temptations that they face every single day. I understand the suffering that you have. I understand your poverty. I understand the pervasive sin around you. I understand the injustices. I understand that you are being physically attacked, beaten, and bruised every day of your all's lives. I understand that overseas in China, that those who are just trying to worship God are being pursued by a government. I understand that those who were meant to serve and protect you take your breath away. And you feel the suffering and the pain. You feel the anguish and the anxiety. You feel as though you don't know what it's going to be like to raise a son or a daughter in this world. You feel as though nobody knows your pain and affliction. But I'm here to tell you that you have a Savior who does. He knew what it was like to live this life out for 33 years. And to ultimately take one of the most gruesome pains and deaths on the cross so we can have eternal life, so we can have the Holy Spirit live inside of us and quicken our mortal bodies when we feel as though we cannot overcome. I have a Savior who knows me intimately, my, my, my weaknesses and my struggles, and He knows that in these moments and times when temptation feels as though it's going to overrun my life, He equips me to be able to overcome. He knows your pain and your sorrows. So as he has been given the authority by God to be able to preach and to teach to us, as we're going to see here, when we continue through this this sermon series, the message of the Messiah, it's not only that he knows the word of God, that he sees the word of God, and that he lived in this relationship with God, but he knows our strugglings and our sufferings in life. He knows what it means to turn the other cheek. He knows what it means to be hungry. He knows what it means to continually say, I have to keep my faith in God and my Father because I know His will is better for myself. He understands what it means to fight systems of injustice as He fought the Pharisees and Sadducees. He knows what it means to stand upon the Word of God when nobody else will walk with you. I think one of the most polarizing moments in the Bible, um, it's in the book of John, I'm going to say it's a 6 or 7, 
I always think about this as Jesus is preaching and teaching. He fed the 5,000. He has all these followers, and he starts to preach, and he teaches. He talks about how the Son of Man must die, and he starts to talk about how you must eat of my body and drink of my flesh. And I'm sorry, you must eat of my body and drink of my blood. And the Jewish people, they're like, I don't understand this teaching. It's hard for me to follow you right now. What is going on? He's teaching about how he has to be sacrificed for all those to come. And it says that all the disciples, they left him. They left him in that moment in time. I can imagine as a leader, he's teaching, he's preaching to them, and his heart and his desire is for them to have salvation. They all leave him because of a moment in time when it was hard for them to receive the word of God for the continuing to have faith. And he stops in that moment, and he looks back at his 12 disciples, and he says to them, Are you two also going to leave me? And the rebuttal back from Peter, he says to him, he says, where else would we go? Whom else do we know who has the power? In this moment, they're saying, I know that I have pain and suffering in life. I know that I'm going to face affliction. I know that this is a hard teaching. I know that it feels as though all these issues are insurmountable. But God, I choose to continue to follow you because you are the son of God and you carry the words of faith for us to live by. I pray as we're going through a specific moment in time in our nation. As Christians, it's, it's a weird and a tough place. And I've said this even as, like, you know, as, a, as a father now and as a black male, you see the suffering and affliction of people who are innocent. And you wonder and you deal with the temptations of how you should react out of anger, out of, out of just hatred. In these moments and times, it's understanding that my Savior suffered the same things I did exponentially worse and I couldn't I can trust unto him and his teachings in the Word of God for us to be able to know that we are to stand firm in his foundation I pray over the next couple of weeks that you know we not only just read through Matthew 5 and 7 but when we preach to this and we teach to this that it shows us applicable ways on how to live our life out spoken from the words of Jesus Christ directly I believe that through the Beatitudes, through all of the rest of these teachings, this message from the Messiah, that we receive it not as, oh, that's a nice thing that we can try to do, but it's actually, I am going to do this because I know the Messiah suffered the same sufferings as me. and He lived this life out, and he's showing me how to live my life. He's been given the power and the authority by God, and it's also in his experience as a man on this earth he showed us that it is possible to live this life out in the midst of pain and suffering to worship God truly. God bless you guys. Um, we'll be getting with you guys over the next couple of weeks. I'll be posting a lot of stuff on my personal page on um, just on stuff that's been going on in, in the world around us. And how can we, um, as Christians, how can we support our brothers and sisters and all of the suffering that's around our world? But also understanding that there are specific instances and times in which we know as the whole, the church, needs to step up and support those who maybe feel the most disenfranchised and don't have a voice. I pray that we can continue to do so and that we do it with love and respect for those who are around us and love and respect for our cities and towns and nations and that we learn how to live out this peaceful nature of Jesus Christ and to be peacemakers in the midst of chaos. Amen, amen. I'm going to pray that we're going to be out of here, party people. Um, Sorry we were running a little bit late from the weird weekend and stuff like that. I had some stuff going on, getting all the emailers out. We'll be getting with you guys. I'm excited about us being able to meet physically back into our building next week. Um, I told people, I said, I've struggled with preaching over just 
the the internet thing. It's kind of weird sometimes. I'm happy Ethan stays here with me. You know, he helps me out a lot because I got somebody to look at that I just you know see the cars and crazy people walking by outside all the time and motorcycles. But like, no, no, I'm like, I'm I just took the Reverend as an amen. I'm like, amen. You go ahead, Mr. Motorcycle. You you give me something real quick. Um, but um. We thank you for the time, and we look forward to meeting next week and jumping into this new sermon series. We'll pray, and then we will be dis- um, sing our doxology, and we'll be dismissed. Um, God, we, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your kindness in our lives. God, I pray today that you help us in the midst of the moments and times when we sometimes feel as though we don't have answers. We feel as though we don't know what to do. We, we feel as though you... We can see the pain and the affliction and the suffering, and we don't know which direction to take that, God, that you help to influence us. You help us, God, with your Holy Spirit, and we open our hearts up to receive what you have for us, first and foremost. God, I pray today that you help us to grow in our personal relationships in our life with you. And then in the moments and times when we feel as though we can't overcome the situations that we face in life, that we know we had a Savior who overcame them all. We know that he lived physically on this earth over 2,000 years ago, and he walked in the same issues that we faced. He labored with the same situations that we have to deal with. He had to face the same corrupt authorities who wanted to kill him, but he moved forward and kept his firm foundation upon what your word said, God. God, I pray today that you help us to grow. You help us to understand Help us to stand in faith and to know how you want us to move forward as your church and as this nation. Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. We want to sing our doxology, and we're going to be out here party people. One, two, and a three. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all people here be. Peace be with you. God bless. We'll see you guys um, this later on this week. We'll catch you in service next week and hopefully online. Peace. I'm getting old out here.